In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We, we start a brand new series today. We're going to be talking about generosity for the next weeks, um, all the way through June 4th, which is, um, June 4th is Pentecost Sunday, so that's where we're going to finish up, talking about generosity and God's power on Pentecost Sunday. Until then, we have Mother's Day, and we have Confirmation Sunday. We're going to all, I'm working the, the series into all of them, so I, I kind of moved things around so that it fit relatively decent. So I'm excited about this. When you think about generosity, what are you usually thinking of? Like 99% of the time, if I say someone's a generous person, what are, we, what are they generous with? Money, right? I mean, that's like 99% of the time. So the timing of this makes me feel a little bit guilty. Um, since we, we just found out about financing on our building and we're trying to move forward on a big building project, which costs a ton of money, and then, of course, how do you pay for that? You have a pastor who talks about money, and it's really hard to perpetuate the idea that churches only talk about money unless you talk about money, right? I mean, so I'm working on that. So during this series, we'll talk about money twice, not one, just in case you missed it, and then one just to perpetuate stereotypes. The other things that we're going to talk about and what you're going to find in Scripture is there is when they say generosity and they talk about lavishing and giving, it's not always about money. Sometimes it's time and sometimes it's emotion, and sometimes it's love, and sometimes it's um, all these other things. So those are the things we're going to touch on. How do we be generous with those things? The problem, of course, is inherently we're pretty stingy. Inher- I mean, you think about a baby. A baby does not born, is not born generous. Do you agree? <laughs> Everyone is nodding to that, right? And then our job as parents is to make sure we don't have a brat when they're 18 years old. I mean, we're trying to get them to share and open up and be friendly and give things away and think in these terms. This, this takes work because inherently this does not work. And different families um, work differently. Do you think this is an inherited trait? I kind of think it is a little bit. And, and there, sometimes it goes the opposite. You're saying, okay, I'm super generous and my kids are not generous at all. Well, maybe you're too generous. I mean, I've seen instances of that where there's the parent that is so generous with everything, their time and their money and their stuff and the house and their space that the kids are so freaked out that they're going to give all their things away that they become like little hoarders. Have you ever seen that happen? So the, the reason why we bring this all up is because I think when it comes to this major theme of generosity, generosity is good, stingy and greed is bad. We all agree. Which would you rather be, the stingy person or a generous person? Generous. I mean, that's across the board. And when you think about your favorite people in the world, the people you like to hang out with the most, I guarantee they're generous people. I guarantee they're generous people. That they, and maybe it's not just with their money, but sometimes it's their money or their stuff or their possessions, their time, physical touch. You know, there, there's so many things to be generous with. And I think, I guarantee the people you like to be around the most are generous people. They're not stingy people. How many people know stingy people? I went to college with two guys. Uh, they're both from the same town. They went to the same church. And uh, they, we called them the Waukesha Scrubs because these were the cheapest human beings you've ever been involved with. Have you ever been somewhere like, not that we went to the bar that often, but we went to the bar. So that's two years of my college life that we would go to the bar. Do you think these guys ever bought a pitcher of beer? I think like twice. And I have a feeling like I dropped the money and they picked it up and then bought the pitcher of beer. I think that's how it worked. They were so cheap. Like if you go on a car ride with them, they were the guys who would ask for gas money, like going across town. You're like, Really? And they're the guys who, if you drove, would never think about ever giving you gas. But you know the people that are like this. The one guy was almost in tears because I borrowed his car and I filled it up with gas. And he's like, you didn't have to do that. I'm like, I know. 
that's being generous. You know, like, I didn't rub it in his face till right now. So, the, so, the, so you've been around. We do not want to be like that, and that's the thing we're trying to totally avoid, but inherently, this is something we struggle with. The reason I timed it up like this is not because of our building project. We have plenty of weeks to be talking about money as we go into a capital campaign and things. I will be talking about money, just to let you know. Um, as we say, how, how do we do this, and how do we have a long-term future here in Castle Rock? But the reason I did that is the only way that any of us can be generous. And the only way that any of us can change our stingy hearts is through the message of the gospel, which is directly related to Easter. And unless you're familiar with the resurrection and what Christ has done, and you're still basking in that glow, there is no way our heart is going to change. And so we're going to look at some, uh, we're going to see today a very technically generous person that is very stingy in his heart. And just think about all the characters we run into today. You do not want to be half of them. So keep that in mind. So all the people we're going to talk about today in the sermon, you do not want to be half, and we're trying to be like the other half. So you're thinking about who's involved. So the, the section that we're going to look at, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, do we want to be like that person or not? We'll make it easy. We'll start out of the gate. We do not want to be like that. So you already got half the answers here. You do not want to be like the person who looks down on everyone and uh, is confident of your own self-righteousness. So Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I got to give him this voice, sorry. God, I thank you. I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week to give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, think of what's the tie, why we have this next section. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Uh, Just for clarity, we're going to just talk about the difference between uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Some of you know some of these things, so I don't want just your eyes to glaze over. So we'll just talk about uh, from their perspective. When we hear both of these names, we're not super impressed. And when you hear, maybe, have you ever met anyone who works for the IRS? Does anyone ever admit this? I met one guy who admitted that he works, uh, Dana Ravenberg is one, I think works for the IRS. It, he says no, because whenever I ask him, he says, if I tell you, I have to kill you. And he says he works for the government. I'm like, what job? IRS. That's what I'm thinking. So that's, I, I put the best construction on it. So that's my assumption. I did work with a guy, he, uh, he was IRS, and he did, not want to, he did not mention this. You know, I'd have to kind of like pull it out of it and finally he said, I, I work for the IRS. I'm like, really? <laughs> I couldn't even hold back my reaction. But we generally do not hate. We might hate taxes, but if you had someone in your neighborhood that worked for the IRS, you do not hate that individual, right? That's a whole different sermon if you've got problems there. So we, accept, we even accept IRS people. But it's a little bit different then, so I'm going to just kind of paint the picture for the tax collector at Jesus' time and how they would have viewed this person and why Jesus chose him of all the people. So they were, as you know, oppressed by the Romans. The Romans had heavy taxes on the people. They hated 
the Romans. Now, like lip service, they would have been like, yeah, the Romans are great, hail Caesar. They did not like it at all. They would rather have been their own independent nation. They, they longed to be their own nation. And so even when Jesus came, remember the ascension comes, and Jesus is talking to them, they're like, hey, is now the time you're going to bring your kid? Now are you going to kick some butt and get rid of the Romans? Like that's what their goal was, the whole Simon the Zealot. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He would have been pushing that zealot would have been for the people of Israel, the Jewish people. They did not like the Romans. And the way that Romans gathered taxes, as you probably have heard, the way they would grab, uh, gather taxes, they would talk to an individual who is Jewish and say, here's what I need you to do. We only want X amount of dollars. You go get it. We'll have the spears and the swords behind you to back you up. Whatever you get beyond that, that's yours to keep. So they had no salary. They would just go and get whatever they could do, extort, threat, you know, whatever they could do, and why do you think the people especially loathed them? I, I think they did not like the Romans, but they hated these guys even more because this is someone who like went to the other side. So imagine like a Jewish person during Nazi Germany. You know, they hated the Nazis. But what would they feel like if there was a conspirator who is Jewish who is working with the Nazis? How would you feel about that person? I mean, we, we do not like ISIS at all, but how would you feel if someone like right in America was conspiring with ISIS to try and have destruction come to our own towns? I think even more than the people who hated us, you would hate this traitor, and that's how they viewed these tax collectors. They were just for, for pure greed and just for cash. They said, I will leave my loyalties to my, my family and my friends, and I'm going to follow the Romans. They did not care for them at all. Now, usually when you hear the word Pharisee, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Has anyone ever thought about naming like your kids Pharisee? No, I mean, none of, if none of us, no one, I've never thought about a name tag. That would be super funny. I go into conference, maybe I'll do that. Jared Pharisee. I'll just put that on there. That is not usually a good thing, but I don't know if that would have been the impression that the people would have had for the Pharisees. So here's the situation during Jesus' time. There's two kind of main groups, and one were the professionals, the Sadducees. Have you heard of that term? Uh, the, the Sadducees were really liberal, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in that at all. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They only followed the first five books of the Bible. And the Pharisees is like a reform movement. So these are not professionals. These are like lay people, just like you. So just Im imagine we had another person working. I don't want to use myself as an example. That was very liberal, did not believe and teach the Bible, was not following the Bible. You had this sense of corruption and that they used their power, to, they would wield their power to get things, and they just liked the position, you as a whole might say, well, this is not okay. We've got to do something different. This is not what it means to follow God's word. And so what they did is a couple things. They, they added laws to it to make sure they didn't break the main law. So they put like, they call them hedge laws. They put like a fence around. So they added laws to it. There's 613. They had like 1,400 something. They told you how many steps you could take. They said, they, would, um, they had all the rules about how much money they gave and all these other things, so they would not break these laws. They were really trying to say, we want to follow God's laws correctly. And they did follow the rest of Scripture. They didn't just follow the first five. They did believe in angels. They did believe in miracles. And, so, um, and they were pious people. Do you think they were generous? Yeah. He says, I give a tenth of all I get. I mean, the, the Pharisees in general were very pious people. So imagine... You've got a person, even at your own church, who is fed up with the, the liberal views and a lack of trust in God's word and just their title, and this person is following God's laws, 
and is very generous. They give 10% of their income. Is 10% a lot? <laughs> You're wondering what I'm going to say. 10% a lot. 10% is a lot. Just think about your own income. I mean, the math is super easy. You make uh, $50,000, that's $5,000 a year. I mean, that's a lot of money. That you, you feel that. You, you know that when you do that. You, if you make $100,000, you are giving $10,000 away. That's a lot of money. So the Pharisees are doing this. It's a significant amount of their income. And it's something that you'd feel. America, in general, did you know, are one of the most generous nations? On average, we give about 3% of our income away. Now, maybe that's just what it says on the tax forms. Like, Goodwill is getting somehow $2,000 a year whenever we hand in a T-shirt or something. I don't, know how that, I don't know how they figure it, but somehow they figure it, and they say America, of all nations, is one of the most generous, 3% of our income. And if you make less than 60000 percentage-wise, you give more than people who make more than 60000 So it's really significant, all these figures about how these goes. The reason I bring this up is what kind of attitude, so the, the Pharisee gets ready to pray, what kind of attitude does he have? So here's his prayer. The Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, not for anything you've done for me, God, I'm just going to let you know how awesome I am. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. You've made a lot of people on this earth, God, but I'm not like them. I'm not like robbers or evildoers, adulterers, or even like this guy, Dana. No, I'm kidding. I'll never say that again. Do not say that to Dana. Dana's, Dana's like twice as big and twice as strong as I am, so I'm not, I'll never say that again. So I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. He says, I'm not, I'm not anything like these other people. So what this tells us is that someone who is technically very generous with their money is very stingy with their heart. And this is the point that Jesus is making. He said, you can be doing the right things. You can be, it's hard to give away that much money. He says, you can do the right things, and you could be a person who is very generous with your money, but they, they lord it over people. Maybe you're very generous with your relatives and you help them out, but you always remind them about how you help them out. You keep these ledgers, and you, you're, this is how you wield your money, to have power. Or is that how it could happen? The other person, what's really interesting is that the follow-up group to this is Jesus has the the disciples, and now it would be assumed that the disciples are fairly generous. I would assume they're all tithers. I mean, let's just, let's just assume that all the disciples, best construction, except for Judas, <laughs> but all the rest are tithers. And so they give 10% of their money as well, but what kind of attitude do they have? I said that you don't want to be like half the people in the story. So in the beginning, we have this group of people, and they say they, they look down on other people, and, uh, and we don't want to be like them. And so Jesus tells a parable, and he talks about a Pharisee who is very, very generous with his money, but looks down on other people. We don't want to be like them. What did the disciples do with those kids? Isn't that interesting? So, so the, the, the follow-up story right next to it is that people are bringing children to spend time with Jesus, and the disciples say, no, don't waste our Lord's time with these kids. Now, this is a, a time where women did not have the same status they have now. Kids obviously did not have the same status. They were like kind of hangers-on, and this, they did not have the same rights and status that they had now. And the disciples thought, this is totally extravagant that you would come to Jesus, who is on this earth to save the world and waste his time with these kids. And so what does Jesus say to them? Unless you're like these kids, unless you're like your kids, you're not going to have this relationship with God, which brings us to our other person that we want to be like. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breath and breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
That's it. That's his prayer. We, whenever we say being generous, I think it's still to this moment, even after this sermon, you'll think 99% of the time you're going to think about money if someone's generous or if I want to be a generous person. But I think what this tells us and what God is telling us is that there's more currencies when it comes to generosity than just money. And so maybe you are generous with your money and you write a check for a project, but you don't want to personally get involved with that project. You know, here's my money, just don't, get into, don't interfere with my world. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna put myself out there. I don't wanna take the risk. I don't wanna invest in someone else with my, uh, with my emotions and my time. You just, here's the money, just go take care of it. All that means is you're stingy with something else, right? You might be generous with your cash, you're just stingy with something else. Could it be that you're stingy with the place where you live? You're willing to write a check, you know, go do fun, good things, but what happens when people say they want to come into your life a little bit, and you're like, uh-uh. You know, don't sit on my couch. That's too much. Don't use my car. Don't get in my space. Don't use my stuff, and you start to hoard it like a dragon. It could be that maybe you're very generous that way, but when it comes to your stuff, you're very stingy. What about your time? Time's the same across the board, and I think even now, people, as people make more money, we live in an area where people do generally well, would you rather give money or time? I'm at the tipping point. Like, this is hard. Like, fixing things or paying someone, you know, like time, money, it's like really hard balance. But I think for a lot of people, they would rather write the money and feel good that something's happening rather than give their time. That's mine. And what does that say? It just says we're stingy with something. What about emotion? Are you willing to pour your life into someone else's life where it's just not worth it? Generous with some things, not generous with all things. Maybe you're willing to have sex with someone but not get married because you say, I don't want to give up my freedom. You know, every one of us struggles. But how do you feel right now? You pay me to make you feel guilty. <laughs> what this shows us is very distinctly, we would love to say the Pharisee's a dirtbag and, and he's the lousy one in the story, but half the people in the story struggle with this very same thing. They look at their own self-righteousness. They look at the things they are generous with and they pat themselves on the back and they forget that there's more to being generous. There's more to the generous life than just your money. There's emotion and there's time and there's love there's physical contact, there's your personal space, there's your energy, and a lot of us guard that way, way tighter than we ever guard our money. Way tighter than we ever guard our money. So how do we get past it? Like, how do you break through this and so that you can say, I want to be a generous person on all fronts? We see this example of the tax collector. He uses these words, and these words are really interesting. Uh, the word he uses, I'm not going to bore you with all the Greek stuff, but uh, so God have mercy on me. And usually when we think of mercy, we think of the word chesed in the Old Testament or eleison. You ever heard that in a song, Kyrie eleison? Is, has anyone heard this? So this is, um, they would sing that. So that means Lord have mercy. So it's this idea, that, Lord, Lord have compassion. Your, Lord show me some grace. Uh, Lord show me some love. He uses a different word here. He uses a different word here that's only used two other times in the New Testament. One other time in the New Testament, but two other times. But the other time that they use that is when, um, imagine we're in the Old Testament and the temple wouldn't have been that big. At our new church, we, we're going to put tape on the floor so we know exactly how big the temple was. Um, 
And if it's the exact dimensions, that's, I'm going to have a tear of joy. Uh, not really, because I think it'd be too small. So they, so they would have, would, before you would go into that, you'd have to go into the Holy of Holies. They'd go once a year, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, some people say. So they would go there, and then they'd have to sacrifice the goat, you know this, and the blood would have that, and the priest would take this blood in a bowl, which just sounds creepy to me. So they didn't say like some kind of canister, but it's in a bowl. They'd take the bowl, and they would sprinkle this blood on the altar, but they would also, as they entered in, and they would go to the, the Holy of Holies, there's like a, a, an ark there, not the ark from Noah's ark. I was the only one super disappointed with Indiana Jones when it was just the box. But they get to the box, and here's an artist's rendition. On this, the chesed, but the, we have the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, what kind of stuff was in there? Do you remember? There's three things you might remember. So there's the manna in there. They had an example. They didn't put quail in there, thankfully. They, they put the manna in there. They put the staff, and then they had the Ten Commandments. And so what this would have meant to the people is in order to go before God, here are the Ten Commandments, they would have been reminded again and again that we have not lived up to God's standards, so we need something. We need God's chesed. We need his mercy. We need his eleison. And the thing that they called the mercy seat was that cover. And the reason I bring this up is when they use the Septuagint, this is getting like multiple levels here, when they use the Septuagint, when they translated it, they didn't translate that the eleazon seat, they translated it with a different word. And it's the same word that this tax collector uses. He's not saying, God, sweep all my sins on the rug, just look the other way. God, he's saying, I need, I need something that only you can give. And how do we know that? Book of Hebrews, chapter 2, here's the other time, and I want you to guess which word is translated with the same word that they use in the parable. So for this reason, he had to be made like them, talking about Jesus, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Which word do you think is the trick? Atonement. So it's not mercy. And so what this, what this man is praying as he hides in the corner is he's not saying, God, just hide, my, just look the other way. He says, God, I need atonement. I need a sacrifice to make me right with you. I need something to happen so I can have any kind of relationship with you. I need, a t I need your sacrifice. That's what atonement means. I need to make things right. At one mint is literally, it's an English word. At one mint. So I, God, you have to do something so that I can have any kind of relationship with you. Who do you want to be? How do you become a generous person? Why aren't we more generous? Why are we so tight with our time? And why are we so tight with our stuff? And why are we so tight with our emotions and our love? And why are we so tight with it? Why are we so tight with our money? I think because we're empty. You can't give what you don't have. And the only way, and this is why we talk about generosity after Easter, the only way we can have a change of heart is God is the one who fills us up. God is the one who shows us his mercy. God is the one who makes atonement. God is the one who gives up his life because in the end, what does generosity cost? It costs something. You can't be generous with your time without giving something up. That's the kicker, right? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if we just give away all the wiki sticks? Someone just keeps feeding you wiki sticks? I could do that all day, right? I could, no problem. God doesn't do that. We're not just giving away words, right? We could talk all day. When you give something away, really give it, you sacrificially, radically, in a life-changing way, it costs you something. If you give your money away and you give 10%, that costs you something. There's things you are not doing because you gave your money away. 
And I guarantee you think about it. I guarantee it comes up. I guarantee when your friends are going on a cruise or they're doing something cool and you think about the $10,000 or the $7,000 that you gave away, it enters your brain because it costs you something. When you give up your emotions, does it cost you something? When you take a risk and you love someone, does it cost you something? When you give up time to organize and volunteer, does it cost you something? Every single time. And the only way our hearts can change, because we don't want to be the stingy people. The only way our hearts can change, and we can be like those little children who humbly come before God, the only way we can be like a tax collector who recognizes is to get filled up by Christ. His mercy, his love, and his sacrifice because it cost him something to put you where you're at. And why did he do that? Because you're worth it. And he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be the generous people who go out in this world. You to be the people who invest their time and their money and their space and their stuff and their emotions and their love to change lives so that they know who Christ is. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so many of us are at times very, very empty uh, sometimes uh, we, we pour out our love on people. Sometimes we love people and it seems like we're being generous, but really we're just using them. We want other people to recognize uh, all the hard work we've done. We want to hear their accolades and we want to hear their praise. We're just using them so that we can feel better about ourselves. Take that attitude away from us. Take our attitude of selfishness when it comes to our time and our stuff and our things and our money. Uh, take that all away. Instead, fill us up with a grace that recognizes where we stand with you. Uh, fill us up with a love that we can be more and more like you. We can be more and more like children who, with a, a heartfelt faith, recognizes that you're the one who changed our life. Help us have a heart like the tax collector who recognizes it's not our self-righteousness that gives us a relationship with you at all. Instead, it's your righteousness that has given to us that allows us to happen. Change our hearts so that we can live in a world of generosity, and we are the primary doers of that action. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.